Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. There, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I am Lot, Lady of Tarth on Tumblr, uh, joined with Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I am at the Chikrin on Twitter. Kama. Hi, this is Kama, and you can find me at Oxford Splice on Twitter. And Devin. Hey, this is Devin GD Harpo on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. As we uh, read Brienne 8 from A Feast for Crows, um, if you haven't listened to this podcast um, ever, you should know we spoil everything. So <laughs> you have been warned. Okay, so this chapter we have a brand, uh, Brienne, what <laughs> a brand? We have Brienne awakening and um, she's been tied down to the back of a horse and everything hurts. She is bleeding and she's feverish and she also has this thought that uh, things are broken inside of her and that line just really got to me. <laughs> uh, there's shadowy figures and dead people all around her. She's having visions of Renly and Catelyn, Dick Crab, Vargo Hope. She hears a faint voice of Podrick, um, but she's in and out. Um, at one point, she has a dream, but this time um, it's in the bear pit, and, and it's a, not a bear, it's biter. And the description is really quite glorious here <laughs> from George. Um, the flesh is make it white, his face is weeping sores. And in the dream, Brienne calls for Oathkeeper and Jamie. When she awakens, she cries for a maester. A girl tells her there are none, only me. And then Brienne asks for Lady Sansa. When they stop, she is given wine to drink, but Brienne wants water. And the thin girl, who we find out, of course, is the older sister to Willow named Jane Heddle, tells her she needs to drink more, and if she doesn't, she'll force it down her throat. Brienne asks to be untied. Jane Heddle tells her it's not allowed. Gendry, who Brienne realizes is not Renly, adds, Till you stand before my lady. Stoneheart, you mean? Brienne asks, remembering what Randall Tarley had said to her back at Maidenpool. Brienne asks for Pod, Hyle, Septon Maribel, and Dog. Both look confused, telling her she killed the dog. Mm. I really hope the dog got out alive. I think the dog, I think they're talking about the fact that. I, I, I know who they're the talking about. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm really more concerned about dog, dog. Of everybody? Of, of that whole group of people? No, but I mean, we kind of <laughs> know what happens with, well, well at least here. with. Well, we know. I mean, we've read the chapter, right? Mm. We, we know where Heil and we know where Pod are. And I think yeah, we know no, where the septum is. I'm with is. you. I, I, I want, I want dog to get dog, out. Damn it. <laughs> I want dog to live. Let him live. I guess. Well, I'm not, I'm not even saying like I'm anti-dog or anything. I'm just saying like, I mean, Padre, Send your fate mail to. <laughs> I was really I'm headed to Kama. some anti-dog speak is what I thought was coming. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so Brienne passes out again, and then she dreams of Dick Crab on an aurochs charging at her. She has no sword, and then the thought of failing Jamie makes her want to weep. Crab takes her head off, and then Brienne sm- spirals down into a deeper sleep. This time she's on a boat. Her head is um, in someone's lap. She is drenched in sweat, but somehow also cold. And there are willows on the bank that are whispering beauty. Will the reeds say freak, freak? When Brienne awakens, Jane brings a cup of onion soup to her lips. Brienne tries to drink, but chokes on a carrot. um, And the coughing just sounds horrible, horribly painful. She asks for Gendry. Jane tells her he has gone back to the inn to Willow and the children to keep them safe. One of the shadow men dressed in a yellow cloak and um, the other in a dog helm pushes Jane aside, telling her to just let Brienne choke, save some rope. Brienne looks to Jane. The inn, they broke. The inn, she she says, you know, we broke bread with your sister. Guest rights don't mean so much as it used to, replies Jane. I love that she still wants to talk to Gendry because I think it must be about telling Gendry that he's Robert's bastard, right? I assume. Wiles asked for him. Yeah, yeah, I think so. One thing that I really kind of liked out of this is um, we kind of learn that it's quite an operation these people are running. Like, Because when you first come upon the scenario of the inn with the children... You don't have any idea this is like some scam they're running. <laughs> but it really is like a, a a trap, right? To bring men to stone yes. heart. It's very yes, mechanized. It it's all very like they have. Yeah. They've done this before. <laughs> so basically they're supporting these orphans, but they're also using them to trap and kill people. So it's a bit fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I remember my first time reading this chapter and just being like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> like once I realized what was going on. Yeah, because it's pretty fucked up. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll get into that more when we get to Thoros. But yeah, the the yeah. Brotherhood Without Banners is, is not who they once were. No. Yeah. We'll say to, um, uh, actually, no, I'll save it. Okay. So they mount up again and they throw a leather hood over Brienne's face this time and she thinks they mean to hang me and her thoughts also drift back to Jamie, Sansa, and Tarth. And then I just have like a selection here. This time she dreamed that she was home again at Evenfall. Through the tall arched windows of her lord's father's hall she could see the sun just going down. I was safe here, I was safe. She was dressed in silk brocade, a quartered gown of blue and red decorated with gold suns and silver crescent moons. On another girl it might have been a pretty gown, but not on her. She was twelve, ungainly and uncomfortable, waiting to meet the young knight her father had arranged for her to marry, a boy six years her senior, sure to be a famous champion one day. She dreaded his arrival. Her bosom was too small, her hands and feet too big, her hair kept sticking up, and there was a pimple nestled in the fold beside her nose. He will bring a rose for you, her father promised her. But a rose was no good. A rose would not keep her safe. It was a sword she wanted. Oathkeeper, I have to find the girl. I have to find his honor. 
Finally, the doors opened, and her betrothed strode into her father's hall. She tried to greet him as she had been instructed, only to have blood come pouring from her mouth. She had bitten her tongue off as she waited. She spat it at the young knight's feet, and the saw the disgust on his face. Brienne the beauty, he said in a mocking tone. I've seen sows more beautiful than you. He tossed the rose in her face, and he walked away. The griffins on his cloak rippled and blurred and changed to lions. Jamie, she wanted to cry. Jamie, come back for me. But her tongue lay on the floor by the rose, drowned in blood. God. We we had a Reddit um, question about the dreams um, from Clarence Unicorn, who wrote... Um, Brienne's dreams are just heartbreaking. Um, actually, maybe they should say this till the, you know, no, I'm going to say it now. Um, would you consider doing a really detailed reading of what they mean, each mean represent reference? Like I tend to read the bear pit naked biter dream to be about Brienne's lingering PTSD about the repeated assaults, attempted sexual assaults, actual Kyburn assault during her time with the bloody mummers, but would be interested to know what you guys think. I think, and this is me now. Um, I mean, there's so much in these dreams. There's a lot to unpack. I mean, clearly some of this stuff is like actual stuff, but yeah, I definitely, well, I think Go ahead, the, the symbolism of biter and the, cause they describe it like he's fondling himself as he comes at her. It's very, uh, yeah, I think you're right on the nose with that analysis with these ones. I have a heart. Well, I think the rose, I can't help but feel that's more George making those beauty and the beast connections. Yeah. So that's why that's thrown yes. in there. The tongue. Um, <laughs> Why is she biting her tongue off? I'm a little... What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. You know, well, we have these discussions whenever we talk about George and dreams. Um, you know, there are these... I'm not going to shit on what anybody believes. There are these beliefs about what certain things appearing in dreams mean in real life. I mean, they're, it's a list somebody made up at one point, but there is some symbolism for biting off your tongue. We're never sure if George is actually using any of that supposed dream symbolism, but... One one big thing that you can tell with George's dreams is there are, of course, prophetic dreams, and then there are just the dreams that people have. And the dreams that people have um, when they're fevered tend to be very related to, like, their person and their past and their secrets. We see this with Ned. We see it with Jamie. Um, who else? Tyrion. You see it with a lot of characters, and so you're seeing it here with Brienne. Finally, you're getting her, you know real fever dreams and getting kind of the, to the root of some of her issues. And yeah, I definitely think like the, the bear pit dream is clearly like just kind of a, a consolidated trauma dream mm-hmm. um, is how I would describe it. This stuff as you get toward her, her like terrible memories of her encounter with red Ronnet is clearly about several things, including her insecurities and the ways that she feels like she's failed as her father's heir and everything. And then also, you know, the romantic stuff with Jamie, you know, with Red Ronnet's cloak turning into Jamie's cloak is obviously about romance. Yeah, that one's that one's kind of easy to decipher, but I still am not I'm not sure about the, the, the tongue thing, I guess. <sighs> I think it's just that she gets 
tongue tied. You know, she, 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 in her own mind, she feels like she somehow fucked up this meeting with Red Ronnet. Like it's her fault mm. that he was a fucking asshole. Cause it, I think when Red Ronnet describes this, he says that she tripped over her tongue or something. He says something that basically she couldn't talk. Right. You're going to make me look this up in my dream dictionary, aren't you? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> well, let's uh, see. What if... knock your tongue means? Yeah. Let's find yeah. out if uh, George said has the same. too much to someone or something or said something not nice about someone. I've heard that one before. There's something false. My oh. thing is, every time I hear somebody bring out normal dream symbolism, I'm like, I don't know that George had this in front of him when he wrote it. <laughs> You know what I mean? We might find out if he well, has are... commas dream dictionary. <laughs> yeah, well, it's entirely possible. Or he's just, I mean, that was one thing when I, years ago, I did therapy and my, my therapist was like, there's like universal dreams, like which everyone has, like the idea of like you, I'm, if you've ever been, had the dream where you, you can't, you scream, but no noise no comes out. There's a like universal dreams. Teeth falling um, out probably is a common one. It, yeah, I think that's about change. I mean, but there's like a couple that are really common, and then the there's other dreams. Yeah, yeah, and then there's other stuff which tends to be a little bit different. Um, yeah, it's an anxiety. It has to do with communication. So, I mean, I think this is a fairly common one. It's not one of those ones where you're like, oh, it means blah blah blah, like. Tomato apparently has to do with sexuality, which who knew? But um, no, I think this is just sort of like, um, you know, literally kind of, I I don't think we need to go deep here. Okay. So let's see. When Brianna wakes, um, her armor and clothes have been stripped. She's in a thin woolen shift that's freshly washed, at least. Um, her broken arm has been splinted and bound with linen. Her cheek wound has also been tended to. And uh, she's kind of like slowly coming to, and then she realizes she's in a cave. Um, Thoris of Mir in his faded robes is there, and um, she says he tells her that she gave him quite a fright. And then he asks if he may feel her brow and her fever has broken. I kind of like that bit with Thoros of Mir. It's like right off the hop, you kind of get at least a hint that this, at least there's one person left that's a bit civil, I guess. Um, The fact that he even asked her if he could feel her brow. Yeah, well, and Jane, and to some extent Gendry, uh, what you're seeing is, yes, this is this is definitely a group divided against itself. It's very clearly set up to be that way, um, which obviously is going to play out into something later on. Actually, we we did have another question um, from again from Clarence Unicorn, who wants to know: Do you think Thoros's troubled cons- conscience? And Gendry's absence are going to turn out to be significant in resolving the Jamie Brienne BWB situation. Mm, yeah, I don't know if it will be related to Jamie Brienne. It very well may be. It's definitely going to play out. There's a reason that it's there. Um, this whole thing of Thoros being so like melancholy about what they've become. I mean, like, and he's clearly in a position of quite a bit of power within the BWB. So. Clearly, it's going somewhere. Team Thoros is all I have to say. <laughs> um, so well, I mean, he's certainly going along with all this. I mean, you know. He's not know. without, I mean, just because you're nice doesn't mean you're 
you know, without um, culpability. But right, right. You know, I mean, you know, like like Brienne saying like <laughs> about Podrick being a boy. It's like he's just a boy, and you're all just sitting here and going along with this. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. <laughs> um. Let's see. Uh, Jane is the one who has tended to Brienne's wounds. Thoris tells her that they had to cut away some of the flesh, and then he tells her that her face will not be pretty. And Brienne thinks of Sir Godwin and how he had warned her every night has battle scars. And she kind of has this, like, I don't think he had, this is what he had in mind, though. <laughs> um, Thoris tells Brienne she fought bravely at the end. Whatever else she may have done, she's won her wounds honorably at the end. And then Brienne asks who he is, and he says, We were kingsmen with no king now. Our brotherhood is broken. The road is dark, and the fires have not shown him what lies ahead. Dundarian is gone, and a grimmer shadow leads us in his place. Thoros offers her a meal. When he leaves to fetch it, Brienne looks for a weapon, and all she finds is rocks. When Thoros returns, she lets the rock fall from her hand. The stew is cold and greasy, the bread is hard, the cheese even harder. Brienne is so hungry, she just thinks this is, you know, this is nothing she's ever eaten has been half as good. Hunger is the best sauce. <laughs> Brienne asks about her companions. Uh, Septon Maribald was set free, she is told, and the rest will be judged. Brienne tells him Podrick is just a boy. And uh, Thoros points out that he was the imp squire. A boy, Brienne says, have pity. And then he says, pity runs out like milk and honey. And she asks, what of justice? And then I selected something on this. Justice, Thoros smiled wanly. I remember justice. It had a pleasant taste. Justice was what we were about when Barrack led us. Or so we told ourselves. We were king's men, knights, and heroes. But some king, some knights are dark and full of terror, my lady. War makes monsters of us all. Yeah. The, 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 this is not sitting well, clearly, with Thoros at least. And other people, clearly. Because we know that some of them have departed and are no longer with this group. And some have objections to what's going on and... And then there are the people, oh, God, this whole chapter is just, yeah. Bleak? Bleak is the fucking term. And it, it's just like, I don't need, I I signed on to do it, like, last minute, and I'm thinking <laughs> of what's going on in the world, going, crap, why did I pick this chapter, you know? <laughs> I but. feel like this happens to me every time that we do, like, Jamie and Brand reads, too. It's like, oh, I always like, start out in the beginning. <clears throat> miss like most of the middle and I'm always here for the end part for whatever reason my <laughs> life just does this to me <laughs> uh, let's see um, men arrive to take Brienne for judgment Stoneheart has returned from fair market well they've slept um, she of herself never sleeps we learn Brienne realizes that one of the men is wearing the hound's helm stolen from Rorge who she killed Thoris asks if um, the f- they have fallen so low to be wearing a dead man's helm. Uh, Lem Yellowcloak Yellow tells Thoros to close his eyes if he doesn't like it. He tells the men to bring the whore as they take her to see Stoneheart. 
Um, Brienne is brought out into a larger area with a fire pit. There's blue smoke filling the air. Behind a table sits a woman in gray. Brienne is brought forth and called the Kingslayer's whore once again. She flinches and then asks why they call her that. If I had a silver stag for every time you said his name, I'd also be as rich as your friends the Lannisters. There's a stink of lying about you, lady. Brienne says that's not so. One of the outlaws brings out Oathkeeper, and he says this says it is. Thoros also pulls out Tommen's parchment. Brienne tries to defend herself. The sword was given to her for a good purpose. Sir Jamie swore an oath to Lady Catelyn. Before his... Before his friends cut her throat, we know about the king's slayer and his oaths. Brienne knows it's pointless, but continues to defend herself. She was sent by Jamie to find Lady Sansa and to keep her safe. Um, it is then that Podrick and Hyle are brought forth. Podrick tells her that he is sorry. Hyle's face is beaten and swollen. He tells Brienne that she should have taken his offer and wed him. Uh, now she's doomed to die a maid, and he a poor man. Uh, right to the very end, Hyle. <laughs> Stoneheart asks Brienne the name of her sword. Her voice is halting, broken, broken, tortured, part croak, wheeze, and death rattle. I just love those. This is such a good description. Um, her words are interrupted by a young Northman. Brienne replies, Oathkeeper. Stoneheart hisses. The man replies, no, she says, call it Oathbreaker, false friend, like you. When Brienne asks how she has um, been a false friend to this person, um, to her, can it be the lady has forgotten you once you've swore your, um, the one you swore her your service? Um, Brienne replies, it cannot be, she's dead. Death and guess right don't mean so much as they used to, muttered Jane Heddle. Stoneheart lowers her hood and she is a sight. The this flesh is decayed, her hair is white and brittle, strips of flesh hang from her face. Thoris tells Brienne Harwin had begged him to give her the kiss of life when they found her corpse. He refused, but Dundarian did not. May the Lord of Light protect us all, she rose. Brienne wonders if she is having a fever dream. I love how, like, everything that George uses to describe this situation of of Catelyn being revived is like, this was not a good idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> how could anyone everything think Everything about it. How could anyone think this is a good idea? <laughs> like, she's three days dead. In, in the water at that? Yeah. Clearly, these people have never read any police procedurals on it. They would know that the <laughs> really, really bad idea. <sighs> I mean, and clearly, the decay is beyond just the flesh, right? Um, and that's the biggest yeah. question with Stoneheart or with Cat. Well, yeah, because people used to argue this, but you know, George explicitly said it a few years ago in an interview. He was like, "She's changed. <laughs> She's not the same." <laughs> There's no Catelyn here anymore. Catelyn Stark, not I don't much. Think, would be stringing up young She's gone. children. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> Catelyn's <laughs> left right. the building. She's gone. <laughs> so see, Stoneheart 
pinches her throat to speak again. Oh, that's another great little bit, too, is, like, how she's, like, well, she had her throat slit, right? So she's kind of got to, like, dig in there and close the right pipes to make the noises come out. Well, that, and she, like, shredded her own face, you know, right before the end. Oh, and you can see her skull. Yeah, I don't even know how that's physically possible, but sure, yeah. I mean, Well, three days in the river, you know, it's a little... No, but I mean, shredding your own face seems a bit... I, I don't know. This is where someone writes in and tells us that, yes, it is possible. But I, I don't know. It just seems... <laughs> I don't want to hear from that person, for the record. <laughs> We're going to get a case file. <laughs> I'm interested in that. Oh, God. <laughs> you can reach Devin, Ad. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, Stoneheart um, pinches her throat to speak again, and then she um, wants Brienne to prove herself. She wants Jamie Lannister. Brienne objects. Um, she tells him that he saved her from the being raped by the bloody mummers. He leapt into the bear pit, sent her to keep Sansa safe. He had no part in the Red Wedding. And uh, Stoneheart's fingers dig deeper into her throat, and then she says, Take the sword and slay the king's slayer or be hang betrayer. Sword or noose, choose. Brienne remembering her dream in her father's hall where she has bitten her tongue out off, she replies, I will not make that choice. So that's again why I brought the thing up with the tongue, because like, she's like awake here, like, and it seems important that she's thinking of that tongue dream again in this moment yeah because she has to answer oh and i remembered what the other thing is with the red ronnet thing it's that she her septa had given her something to say and she couldn't spit it out it was like i welcome you to my father's castle or some stupid thing right so this is something where she she knows she needs to answer she needs to speak and she always has you know unless she's really angry she has a hard time talking sometimes and this is you know, one of those times where she's got to get something out. And obviously it's a very emotionally painful time. And then she did yeah, have that moment before she was dragged up here where she was like, she is, she's like, I cannot be afraid. She's like, well, too late for that. I'm scared, but they will not see it. So Yeah. yeah. And then like, never forget part of it is <laughs> they're asking her to kill Jamie and she's thinking of Jamie as the boy she's supposed to marry. <laughs> so obviously there's that issue too. Uh... Anyway, the reply from Stoneheart is, hang them. They drag Brienne and Pod and Hyle outside. Ropes are thrown around their necks and tree limbs. Brienne says, a twisted willow and Hyle and Pod have elms. Hyle shouts, he'll kill Jamie Lannister. Brienne, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, I love Hyle. <laughs> Brienne pleads for Podrick's life. She promises her father will pay a ransom. Sapphire, silver, whatever they want. Lem tells her he wants his wife and daughter back. I love this bit. Can I just say, I've always loved this bit because, you know, in Storm, when Jamie's trying to bargain to somehow save, you know, Brienne's life and virtue or whatever, you know, he says the lie about, you know, the Sapphire Isle to try to convince them to keep her alive. And, you know, she's so angry with him for lying, even, you know, to these terrible people. And, She's come so far in her ability ability to kind of understand the world in tones of gray that here she is doing exactly what Jamie did to try to save Pod's life. And yeah. I think it's really, really, really a cool moment. Yeah. Oh, 
so anyway, he wants his wife and daughter back, and he replies, the boy will rot beside you. Wolves will gnaw your bones. And just to finish this off, do you mean to hang her limb, asked the one-eyed man, or do you figure to talk the bitch to death? The hound snatched the end of the rope from the man holding it. Let's see if she can dance, he said, and gave a yank. Bran felt the hemp constricting, digging into her skin, jerking her chin upward. Sir Hyle was cursing them eloquently, but not the boy. Podrick never lifted his eyes, not even when his feet were jerked up off the ground. If this is another dream, it is time for me to awaken. If this is real, it is time for me to die. All she could see was Podrick, the noose around his thin neck, his legs twitching, her mouth opened. Pod was kicking, choking, dying. Brand sucked the air in desperately. Even as the rope was strangling her, nothing had ever hurt so much. She oh, screamed God. a word. My heart. <sighs> God. I mean, uh, this is so terrible. Like, to put Brienne, of all people, oh. in this position. Where she's got to choose between, like, this innocent kid and the life of the man she clearly loves it's just horrific and only george could think this was a good idea okay so how does she get out of it because that's not gonna happen (laughs) well i I guess for anybody who doesn't know she she does yell sword here george has confirmed that um i mean you kind of infer it i guess since she shows up in in dance although i was pretty sure that she was just a zombie in dance but um (laughs) George George said in an interview that she does yell sword. That's that's the word. So she's agreeing to the bargain to kill Jamie. We did we did have a question about this um, waxed paper door. Who also wrote um, about the chapter in general? Whatever you do, do not read this chapter while thinking about Brienne telling Catelyn of the Knights of Summer. Um, and then at George R. R. Martin, please stop making my baby girl suffer. Um, her question is, I reread the vows Brienne made to Cat in The Clash of Kings, and nowhere does it mention anything about obeying, only guarding and keeping. Do you think this might help with the Stoneheart situation, or will Stoneheart lead on, lean on the quote-unquote dying for her if need be part? Wasn't there almost mm-hmm. something about her not um, asking her to do anything like dishonorable yes yes because that is part of what Catelyn swore back to Brienne is that she'd never ask anything that would dishonor her I think do you think I mean I don't know I mean I could see somebody maybe Jamie uh, wordsmithing this I don't know like not wordsmithing but like parsing it out like that but I don't know about Brienne yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, one thing I do know is that we don't we don't know what uh, Brienne may have sworn at River Run when Jamie was released because when Jamie talks about that, he talks about how they all did a great deal of swearing, and I don't think he means just him and Cleos. I wouldn't be surprised if she if Catelyn hadn't made Brienne swear something else. So we don't know for sure that there might not have been an extra vow with regard to Jamie. I don't know. She might have sworn to kill him if he didn't do it or something. We don't really know. Well, I, I think the question is more like, is this a way for Brienne for to, it, get, to get out of it? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, or like, you know, if another... Jamie figures out what's going on for him to like persuade her. I don't know. 
I don't Possibly. know if there's not another extenuating vow is what I'm saying. We don't know she, that Brienne well, is something else. Brienne seems to me to be more of a black and white thinker, and I can't really see her, you know, to this shifting point, yeah. this around. Don't you, you think know? this would kind of pull some shades of gray into your life? <laughs> well, I think it would, but this I mean, journey. like, there are there are other characters who would be like, well, yeah. I, I swore I'd send them home. I didn't say it wasn't going to be in a box. You know, there are people like that. And then there's like Brienne. or Tywin or something. Yeah. Like. <laughs> you know, um, I don't see Brienne as having that kind of. Um, in the moment. Yeah. You know, kind of like, ah, well. I mean, she can be quick with plans, but I don't know. Yeah. This is a very, like, like you said, wordsmithy. For her. Lawyer up, lawyer up and tear this thing yeah. apart word by word thing. <clears throat> Clearly, that was an independent clause and not a dependent clause, and therefore, yeah, no, I don't yeah. see that happening. I don't know though; it's been theor- it's been theorized quite a bit, so that may that may be what it comes down to because of the fact that Kat swore back to Brienne that she wouldn't she wouldn't make her do anything that would dishonor her. I just, yeah, I can't think of though, like how any of this comes out as a win win for Brienne. They have Hyle, they have Podrick, even if she doesn't. Bring Jamie. Well, what they need is leverage. Yeah. She needs leverage, is what she needs to get everyone out of this alive. That's the only way you get everyone out, is leverage. I see where you're going with this. (laughs) To the mail. Hmm. 14 fucking years. (laughs) Pa's been there hanging. Yeah. Uh, And it's ridiculous. The description of, like, the way he looks. Just gets me every time because it's like he's just stoic, like nothing on his face at all. He's oh my god! And he's a child. This is not stupid dude bro fantasy of a sex guy. This is a little boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's what twelve? Is he? Yeah, even and he's. It seems like a young twelve in many ways. Yeah. Uh, but he just expects the worst from life, just like Brienne does. Like, that's all he's ever gotten. So that's all he ever seems and to expect. It's doesn't so that awful. just rip your heart out? Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know? Um, was that you calling for the mail a lot? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Let's do. Have yeah, some we do more? have, okay. we have some more. Um, we had one from, um, I don't know how to say this, uh, human X shaped, maybe. I hope I didn't butcher that on Reddit. Um, who asks, have you read Brienne's last chapter in the Russian version of A Feast for Crows? Um, if so, could you share your thoughts on that compared to the official version of the chapter? I can't stop wondering about what was on George R.R. R. Martin's mind, and I have so many questions. And then there's a passage, um, quote, the clapping of wings wafted from afar. The carrion crows are coming to feast at her corpse. About a dozen already are circling over her head, but for carrying crows, these birds are too big. Ravens, smiled Brienne, how odd. No, it is a dream, and now she will awake. Unquote. Okay. And then they no, have, go ahead. there's like, there's a couple of questions, so maybe I should take them one at a time. Okay. Okay. Can can I just explain really yeah, quickly what this do. is? Because a lot of people aren't going to know. Okay. So when A Feast for Crows was released, the Russian version, for some strange reason, ended up with with what are referred to as draft chapters for Brienne's final two chapters. They're actually combined in the Russian version, and they're very different than what was released in any other language. Um, they 
the the stuff up to the end I think is mostly the same. Um, things really start to deviate um, once you get to the point where um, the the bloody mummers come to the end because in the in the Russian draft chapter, which is a very early draft of the chapter that of I, it's two chapters now but of what was the original one chapter that George wrote, um, he didn't have the bloody mummers in it. It was actually just the Brotherhood without banners who came. So and then from there it gets even weirder. Go ahead with the questions, though. Maybe it'll address so, everything weird. Question one. It's not explicit, but I think it means she survived in this version, right? Can we confirm the blood sacrifice theory then and that George R.R. R. Martin will probably use it later in her arc? I, don't, so I haven't in read this. this. <laughs> um, the, the blood sacrifice, I think there must be referring to the werewood, supposed werewood sacrifice that Brienne made at the Whispers when she threw the gold coins in with um, Dick Crab into his grave after she'd killed the three bloody mummers um, that she supposedly bought like two or three lives doing that because she buried him in front of a werewood. It's like a human sacrifice. Um, I don't know because in the Russian version, Heil and Pot aren't with her. It's just her alone. And it, what the theories are with the werewood thing is that she bought more than one life. So I'm not really sure if this is that moment of getting that paid back, if that was the werewood sacrifice. Um, what are the other questions? Uh, question two. There's only three of them, by the way. Um, there was so little Jamie in it. Is it possible that Martin changed what he was planning for JB and game along the way? I always thought he knew where he was going with them. And now I'm not so sure, or I'm not so sure now. What do you guys think? Hmm. Um, I, I'm not that worried about it because from what I remember, uh, this has been years ago that I talked to someone who translated this from Russian um, from what she told me, there is Jamie in the beginning half up through when they get to the inn. Um, it's just like the dreaming about Jamie and everything. And I think that's probably just something George decided to add in later. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think it changes anything about their end game because clearly, <laughs> clearly uh, the, the end game is the end game. Okay. And then, uh, they write, I love your podcast and I'm grateful for the, I don't know how many rereads because you guys are helping to heal my soul after season eight disaster. I listen to it at the gym sometimes, and I'm pretty sure that people there think I'm crazy by now because I laugh at loud, out loud at some of your comments and can't stop. Um, there are a lot of people who seem to listen to us at the gym. Have you guys noticed? <laughs> um, and then <laughs> you'll love this, Chicky. One last question. Where's the petition for Chicky to start writing JB fan fiction again? I love all her works and it would oh. be really, uh, I, I'm going to mangle this. It would be a really fun episode. I, I don't know. She wants you to write or if they want you to write more. I should oh, assume really gender. It's very sweet. So you've got some fans. Thank you. You should make like a really like super high Patreon pledge for it. <laughs> there we go. For $1 million. Yeah. Oh, you heard it, folks. You heard it. <laughs> um, and then we do have, um, we have an iTunes review, a five-star iTunes review from, oh, I'm going to butcher this name too. Um, Joke021. Um, Come for the drunk cast, stay for the analysis. Just discovered this podcast and it's quickly become my favorite a Song of Ice and Fire podcast out there. I love the in-depth analysis and the drunk casts are amazing and hilarious catharsis after the terrible show season eight. Never stop podcasting, ladies, and occasional gents. 
Although even if you do, I'm thankful to have years of archives to dig into. Thank you. Hmm. And that is oh, our mail. So sweet. The best mail. Okay. Um, so thank you for sending that in. Um, please send us more messages at close the door and at gmail.com. You can also reach us at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. You can follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Um, consider supporting us on Patreon and for $1 million, you may get a story written by Chicky. <laughs> Uh, like and subscribe wherever you may listen and also please review uh wherever you listen um thank you everybody i think we're gonna close the door get out